we happen to need to fix and repair things around our house like you do. And I'm not very good at it. I'm not real good with hammers and nails and screwdrivers. And there are some things duct tape just won't fix. But there are some things that can be fixed without nails or screws or duct tape, and that's super glue. Super glue is amazing stuff. When Ellen uses it, it always works. She fixes so many things with that, it's really good. When I use super glue, it seems to hardly ever work well. When I try to unscrew the lid, it seems to be super glued to the bottle. And even though I live in a country with remarkable technological advances, there's still no way to get a super glue lid off a super glue bottle that's been glued on. And so I twist and turn and finally decide I need to get a pliers to get that thing off. So I get the pliers and I inevitably squeeze the bottle trying to get it off. And of course, no super glue is coming out where it's supposed to be coming out. It starts to bleed out of the sides of that little metal tube. And then it gets all over my fingers. And of course, the natural thing is to wipe your fingers together and get that stuff off. And then it's not like Elmer's glue. Elmer's glue, you can rub it off. Super glue, uh-uh. Your sti fingers stick together. And of course, what can you do at that point? You just close your eyes and man up and pull those fingers apart. And the skin tears and it hurts like crazy. Super glue, really, really good. Or it can be really, really bad. In this morning's passage, Paul is using the concept of glue and the concept of a powerful and bonding, uh, potent bonding, and he's talking about our bodies. As a matter of fact, one of the words he uses comes from the word group in its original language that includes glue. In verses 16 and 17, he talks about joining or uniting. The word means to hold fast, and he's talking about our bodies, the physical bodies. And he's giving us an image of the fact that the body is profoundly bondable. The human body we have is kind of like super glue. It was created to, be on, to bond. That's how God designed us. Now, the Corinthians were totally messed up and confused about the body and this bonding. And here's what he says to them in chapter 6, starting verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say. That's what they were saying. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them or join them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unite, unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. First of all, I want to give two foundational truths from this text about our physical bodies. Number one, these bodies will rise after death. The Corinthians were saying, food for the stomach, stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. In other words, the body will die, so do with it whatever you want. It's temporary. And Paul says, no. By his power, God raised Jesus from the dead, and he will also raise us. And because Jesus had a bodily resurrection, we too shall have a bodily resurrection. When we are raised from the dead, when Jesus returns, we will have bodies. And these bodies we have now 
will be renewed in some fantastical way. They will be wonderfully perfect. None of the flaws or aches or pains or diseases of this body. I think our bodies might be able to fly. Jesus ascended into heaven. Wouldn't that be cool? So this body has an eternal reality. Now it gets old and it dies and it deteriorates like a seed dies when it's planted, but it will be raised like a plant that comes forth from the ground. Our eternal home with Jesus will be a physical bodily existence. And that means the body that we have is very, very important. God probably thinks more of your body than you do. How many of you like your... Nah, let's not go there. Number two. Second foundational thing, our bodies are made for bonding. Do you not know, verse 15, that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite or superglue them with a prostitute? Notice the bonding imaging, unite members. For it is said the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. In other words, superglued to him. These bodies were made to bond, to join together. And if these bodies are eternal and made for bonding, then we have to decide how to engage them in bonding, and there are eternal implications. So your body's like super glue, and that can be really, really good, and it can be really, really bad. Now, although Paul talks about the bad things, we will get to those. The preponderance of this teaching is really on the good things, the, the beauty and the goodness of the body. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time. Now, Paul quotes from Genesis where the two will become one flesh, the two will become superglued. And you might be thinking, well, this passage is about marriage and sex. That's the centerpiece. That's what it's all about. Actually, it's not. It includes those topics, but it's primarily how the body is made to bond. And marriage is not the most important way your body is made for bonding. Let me say that again. Marriage is not the most important way your body was made for bonding. Not everyone marries. Not everyone should marry. As a matter of fact, Paul even says, I actually prefer that some remain unmarried for the sake of the kingdom of God. So one thing we have to get clear, Paul is not saying that marriage or physical intimacy is the center of all bonding. He's really trying to deal with people in Corinth who are living a messed up, confused, deceived, one-dimensional view of the body, that the only way the body can bond is through sexual intimacy, and that's really the view that most people have today. So the main thing I want you to get from this text is your body is not ultimately about your sexuality. Your body is about bonding, which is much bigger, much more comprehensive. The Corinthians were messed up. Paul even quotes them. They were saying, I have the right to do anything. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food. It was all about feeding the body's desires, you know, food and sex. That's what the body is all about. And we are free to do what we want with our bodies. They had the very same attitude that most Americans have today. This is what the culture is telling us. You can do with your body what you want. It's your body. It's her body. It's his body. Paul teaches some profound truths that go against the culture today. Number one, and I think the most important teaching from this, our bodies are given to us so we can bond with God. Do you not know that our bodies are members of Christ himself? Do you not know that your body is connected, super glued to Christ? Don't you know that? Do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, which is God living in your body? Our bodies were made to bond with God and with Christ. 
These bodies are sanctuaries. They're temples. They're the dwelling place of God. And he is bonded with us through Christ. Now, that sounds kind of mystical, but it's actually very practical. How else do you follow Christ except through your body? Just this morning, how else did you get here? Your body brought you. How else do you receive communion but through your body? You touch, eat, feel, taste. How else do you worship the living God but using your body? With your voice, your eyes, and your mind, God is in you, and he wants your whole body to be used to his glory. When you uh, worship on your own, like going out to a park or something, you confess with your tongue, you read scripture with your eyes, you experience the creation with your eyes and nose and ears, you know, all your senses, you use your mind. Your body is given to you first and foremost. Your body is given to you to bond with the living God. Now, children are really good at this. I wanted to do a video of this, but Ellen didn't think they would do it for us. But at a very rudimentary level, they worship their whole body. Now, Ellen works with twos and threes. And they jump up and down, and they wave their hands. And, and as they're singing to Jesus, it's a whole body worship. VBS, same thing. I mean, these kids worship. I thought, man, I wish we could bring that Sunday morning. Now, when we were kids, we sang things like, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little hands, what you do. You know, all that. That's good theology. That's 1 Corinthians 6 theology. That's what Paul's getting at. Your body's for God, super glued to God. Philippians 3, it says our bodies will be changed from these lowly bodies to glorious bodies. So your body is eternal. It is made for God and made to live with God for eternity. And right now, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are bonded to him. You are a member of him. Super glued to Jesus. It's an amazing reality. Now, along with that, there's also a bonding with believers. Now, I think on your out. Yeah, bonding with members of the body of Christ is what I'm supposed to have on there. But verse 15 says, Do you not know that our bodies are members of Christ? We are part of Jesus and part of his body, which is his church. Now, he plays this out more in 1 Corinthians 12, which we'll look at in November. But the body of Christ is the church of Christ. And Paul's saying your body not only belongs to God and bonds to him, it should bond with other believers. If our bodies belong to each other, and if we're supposed to bond with each other, and if you equate your body with sexuality like the Corinthians did, and most people do today, that sounds a little kinky. How can I bond with other people in the church? Isn't that immoral? No, because your body is not primarily sexual. If your body is not first and foremost a sexual reality, if it is first and foremost a bonding reality, we can bond to one another. I can bond with you. Not only does my body belong to him, but God has given to me so that I can belong to you and you to me. Our bodies together will be glorified someday, and what we do with our bodies now matters profoundly and deeply. Now, you've heard the phrase body language. Your body says something. It speaks. What is your body saying to another person? It says something. It says something. Smile says something. A frown says something. Your body speaks. It speaks joy. It speaks anger. It can speak boredom. Stomp your feet. That says something. You know, kids are great at body language. You know exactly what they're saying. In a family, we see uh, this bodily bonding and how important it is. There's nothing better than dad wrestling with the boys on the floor. There's a bonding there. Or mom brushing her daughter's hair. There's a bodily bonding. And it's not sexual. A, man, a mom looks into 
for baby's eyes, and there's the bonding with the eyes. And on Sunday morning, very practically speaking, we are a family and we bond with our bodies. We shake hands, we talk, we do pat on the back, we smile, we speak with our bodies, we hug sometimes, we develop relationships through our bodies. Just showing up with our bodies says, I want to bond with you, I want to be a part of you. Just being here. See, you cannot bond with another person in absentia. Absence does not make the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart grow colder. Someone posted on Facebook, it's been quite a while back now, I love the church, but I don't go. And I want to say, no, you don't. You don't love the church. You cannot. Your body language is saying something completely different from your words. Our bodies need each other. I've noticed with older people, especially, and those who are alone, they love hugs. They need some bonding. And little children desperately need bodily bonding. We all do. And one of the main drivers for pornography and sexual immorality is isolation. So many men and women live isolated from each other. And I think social media has made us more isolated. And it's not natural. It's not what we were intended to, to be, to live in isolation. Your body needs to bond with other bodies, not sexually, but needs to bond. And we have this profound drive to connect and to bond. Our bodies are like super glue, but if you're not doing it in a holy way with God and a holy way with one another, then you'll find unholy ways to bond and connect. The driver behind sexual immorality is so often profound loneliness that so many of us keep to ourselves and we can't break out of or we don't break out of. And if we don't bond our body with God and with the church, these bodies will bond somewhere with someone. Your body is super glue. And because it's made to glue, it will glue to something. And it can be really good. It can be really bad. Bonding with God. Bond with God's family. The third bond is bonding in marriage. The two will become one flesh. Paul wants to be clear to the Corinthians that this is where sexual expression belongs. You can bond without sexuality. And the only place sexual expression belongs is in marriage. One man, one woman, husband, and wife. But... I want to stress this over and over, we are not primarily or ultimately sexual beings. That's the big problem with sexual identity today. I'm a lesbian, I'm a bisexual, I'm a heterosexual. No, none of those is your identity. You are so much more than that. You are a bonding reality, a bonding being, and it's a big difference. In heaven, I don't think there's going to be sexual expression. We know there won't be marriage. Jesus is very clear about that. The bonding in heaven will be so much deeper, so much greater, so much better than any bonding here on earth. Ellen and I took, our, took my 93-year-old mom up to see my aunt and uncle last week. My uncle's 96, my aunt's 90. I felt kind of young, actually. And my aunt and uncle have been married 10 times longer than Ellen and me, almost 70 years. I didn't ask them, but I don't think they bond sexually anymore but they do have a bond much deeper and richer. There are some who are called to marriage here on earth, but not everyone. And you're in no way less of a Christian or less of a human being or less of a person if you're not sexually engaged in a marriage relationship. And so many people today think, this is one of the deceptions, that if your marriage isn't strong sexually or, or if you're outside of marriage and not physically intimate, you know, somehow you're missing out. You're living a half a life, you know, and that is a lie because foundationally, you're a person made to bond, and bonding is much deeper than sexual. Yes, 
within marriage, it is beautiful and important, and it is a form of bonding, and it is sanctioned by God. And in fact, in the next chapter, Paul says it's better to marry than to burn with passion. If you must marry, go ahead, but marriage is not the heart of bonding. There are marriages that don't bond. There's married people that are isolated, lonely, and miserable. That's because we are confused about the nature of these bodies. Just bonding physically is not full bonding. And when people think that all will be bliss if I can just be sexually fulfilled, that is a lie. Bonding with God, bonding with God's people, that's the purpose for everyone's body. Bonding in marriage, that's for some. And then there's a fourth kind of bonding, and it's an unholy bonding. Our bodies are so adhesive, they can bond in ways they were not meant to. This is super glue gone bad. Paul asks this question, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them or bond them with a prostitute? When Paul says, may it never be, he is not simply saying that it would be immoral. It's deeper than morality. What he's saying, may it never be that your body, which is given to bond with each other and given to bond with God, would be bonded in an unholy way. Don't lower your body to that. Prostitution in Corinth was very real. It was easily accessible by all strata of society. It had a spiritual component. It was the way you worship. Very likely, you would go to a temple like that of Aphrodite, and you would engage in prostitution as part of your worship. And Paul is saying when you do that, you actually separate yourself and your original solidarity with Christ and his body. You move yourself away from him and move yourself away from your brothers and sisters, and you act independently of them. You actually reject them, and you reject your bond with God and say, I will now bond my body in an easily accessed sexual expression outside of marriage. It includes pornography, adultery, premarital. And Paul's concern is that those primary bonds with God and other believers, which is so beautiful, is broken because of this unholy bond. Unholy bonding is like superglue. And when you marry, you will carry that unholy bond into your marriage. If, if it's not healed and cleansed and broken which it can be. The unholy bond can be broken and healed. That's why the cross matters. Because he who bought your body at a price, that Paul says in our text, he who bought your body is powerful enough to break any unholy bond that has been created. God can go back in time because he created it, back into former relationships, back into pornography that maybe is still in your mind. He can go back to those places. He can break those bonds because he's broken the power of death. That's the power of the cross and the resurrection. It frees us from unholy bonds so that we can experience the beauty and the glory of the bonds we were made to have. You can get that. So we see Paul's antidote for unholy bonding here. He says, do you not know that one joining a prostitute becomes one body with her? And then right after that, he says, but the one joining to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Bonding with God is deeper than any sexual bonding. And that's the way to freedom. Join to the Lord. Now, this cleansing involves confession, repentance. And I would strongly encourage a bodily response by asking someone to pray for you, pray over you, do something with your body as you receive this antidote of bodily cleansing. Receive prayer with the laying of hands over your body. You can be healed, but you have to move your body toward God and toward his church. Paul gives one other way to be free, that is to run, flee, get away from it. It's probably an allusion to 
Joseph and Potiphar's wife in the book of Genesis, where Joseph is brought into a temptation to make an unholy bond with Potiphar's wife as she tries to seduce him, and he literally runs out of the room, physically moves. You cannot think your way out of sexual temptation. You have to remove yourself from the situation, remove yourself from the apartment or where it's about to happen, remove yourself from the monitor you're about to look at, make a phone call to someone, you know, get a filter, see a brother or sister, bond in a holy way. That's really the antidote and the way out. Bond with Jesus and bond with the body of Jesus. I have people in my life, when they are tempted, will call me and talk. And sometimes I will actually physically, bodily go and talk to them so they can bond with God and me and not make an unholy bond. Teenagers, group dates with other believers is a healthier way to do it, to bond yourself and your body with the body of Christ and Christ himself. Now I want to go back three verses before our text. Verse 9, he says, Do you not know... That wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, there's some pretty strong words there about sexual sin and the gravity of it. And the reason... They won't enter the kingdom. They bonded in the wrong way, rejected the bond with Jesus and his church. However, we should not put those sins on a bigger scale than others, which we so often do. Sexual sin is sin, but so is greed, and so is lying and cheating and gossiping. And those are also using the body the wrong way and bonding with the wrong things. Some of you have not bonded with this church. You've bonded with other things. Your body is super glued to your business or super glued to your fun weekends or super glued to selfish desires, whatever it might be. And the good news here, though, is Paul says that is what you were. It's in the past. You are now the people of God, a new creation, and what he's concerned about is that some of them are still living in the past, and he wants them to experience this new reality, the new way, a better way, a better bond. And Paul tells the Corinthians, do not be deceived. He mentions that several times. And one deception is that our bodies are primarily sexual entities. They are not. And another deception is that I'm staying forever because of my sin. I am doomed. You are not. Do not be deceived. You are cleansed by his blood. That's what you were. And then there's one other deception. Matthew 5, Jesus said, You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, the religious people that day were quoting the seventh commandment, don't commit adultery, and they were right. But the thinking was that we can divide people. There's the adulterers and then the non-adulterers. There's those people with their sexual problems, you know, those people with marital problems, and those teenagers acting that way. And then there's people like me that doesn't do those kind of things. I'm clean. And there are some of you here today that think this message has nothing to do with me. I'm okay. You've been deceived. So Jesus knew that, and he said, you say don't commit adultery, but I say whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. What's he doing? He broads the scope of the sin to include just about everybody. He's basically telling religious leaders, you got problems too. 
Yeah, there's those people with sexual problems, and then there's me who's still married, never mind that my marriage is dead, never mind that we aren't bonding with God and the church the way we should, never mind that I look a little pornography, but I'm good. If Jesus came here and said anyone here is engaged in any inappropriate attitude toward the opposite sex or has used their body in a wrong way will die within 10 seconds, I'd be speaking to an empty building in 10 seconds. Actually, I wouldn't be speaking because I'd be dead too. It's so easy to pretend. I don't have that problem. Yes, you do. You and I have used our bodies in inappropriate ways. And this body will live on into eternity, which was made for God and made for God's family, and we've all abused in some way. And we could actually expand this. How about using your body to overeat or to curse someone or to gossip? Jesus really agreed with the Pharisees on on a lot of things. They agreed on morality. The difference was that the Pharisees threw rocks at sinners, and Jesus went to their homes and talked to them. He bonded with people bonded them to God. And our mission as a church has been love God, love people, reach the world. The only way we can do that is with our body. Love God with your body, love others with your body, and we'll reach the world with these bodies. Super glued to him. Super glued to his church, the body. And that means you have to put your body in situations where it can bond. And just attending church doesn't glue you to the church you got to go deeper. Do not live in isolation. These two greatest commandments are the healthiest commandments for life. Bond to God, bond to others with your body. Now, I'm going to do this. I, I don't know if Parker knows. He probably doesn't know I'm going to do this. I want us to stand up and sing just the song right now. Would you stand with me? It's a hymn. You all know it's, the word's not going to be up there. It's I Surrender All. We're just going to sing the chorus. I surrender all, I surrender all to Jesus, I surrender. And uh, what I want you to do is just hold out your arms and do a little body language here. Lord, I surrender to you. That's what this is, right? I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Let's pray. Lord, we bow our heads to show our submission to you. We close our eyes so we can focus on you. We will soon take communion with these bodies. And I just pray that these bodies will in every way glorify you and that they will bond with you and bond with your people. And when we form an unholy bond, may we be We run to you and run to your people. In Jesus' name we pray.